Are you answering the question? Yeah. Uh, but I didn't ask. Oh, <laughs> Wait, okay, I did. I didn't officially ask the question. <laughs> sorry. I'm sorry. It wasn't official. Hello and welcome to the learning experience brought to you by Trainers Forum, hosted by myself, Oscar, and Enlade. Hi everyone. This is Oscar and I will explore the science and art of learning and learning in non-formal education. So buckle up and enjoy this episode. Hello everybody, today we are joined by Mirna Schmidt and uh, she is trainer of positive psychology and interpersonal skills and the founder of Happiness Academy. Welcome Mirna. Hi, good to be here. So can you tell us something about yourself before we start with uh, with our regular flow in the episode? Sure, uh, thanks for the question. Uh, so I work as a trainer primarily in two set of skills, positive psychology and skills for trainers as well. I love what I do. Uh, I'm eager learner, really curious, always want to learn more, love new experience, uh, love traveling and sports. Um, yeah, and I just, I'm a little bit of a book addict, so always good person to ask for book recommendations uh, and just really, really passionate about training and learning for the last 12, 13 years and always happy to talk about these topics. Amazing. I think that uh, our listeners are going to be happy to have like two nerds here talking about education and talking about books and talking about like all these things that you just said <laughs> so we're actually going to try to stick with uh with few topics but uh if we manage to get like four or five episodes out of this it would be fun <laughs> okay so can you tell us more about happiness academy what is it sure happiness academy is a training organization uh, and on happiness academy we'll work with primarily with educating, but also with empowering and motivating people, um, both individuals and organizations, to build a bit more fulfilled, meaningful, engaged, joyful life. That's the main vision, the main thing we are trying to create. And the way we are doing that is through trainings, so experiential learning, non-formal education, and we build most of the content and the things we work with on the science of positive psychology. Can you tell us how positive psychology workshops look like? Well, it can depend a little bit on the topic. Uh, we work with several big topics, one of them being resilience, one of them being well-being and happiness, flow and engagement and mindset. That's kind of our main topics. Uh, so we always adopt quite a lot workshop to the topic. But if we talk kind of general, uh, one thing we try to do is work with courses that are in multiple modules because from learning and knowing about learning, we know that's kind of better way to get people really into things and into new habits. And then within every module, we work with opening different topics and subtopics related to the big topic. Uh, in every uh, course, we start with big picture, trying to really understand what, how does resilience work or how does well-being work. And that's part where we are really trying to empower the learner that they decide what they want to learn and change. And we bring in a lot of science in it and tools from the science, but there is also a lot of reflection, discussion, testing and trying out what works best for us. Um, we invite them to be picky. You know, this is what science says, but what works for you best and try it out and, you know, test it. Um, so in that way, the group is usually quite small. They get quite close uh, binded and become friends by end of the course. And they explore big variety of tools and approaches 
uh, and take quite an active role in shaping their own well-being or resilience. So we work a lot with experience and we really from that experience thinking, you know, how will I use that in my own life? What works for me? What doesn't? And then this format where we have one module per week and then extend through multiple weeks, this really allowed them to integrate things in everyday life and, you know, to test them and say this worked and this didn't and I need to try harder on this and this is not for me. Um, and in that way, we just, yeah, we also develop some good habits and give them a lot of time to figure things out. And also we can split it complex topics in kind of gradual steps and work them through. We try to work a lot in evidence-based way and in science-based way, as much as that's possible. We know in soft sciences that can be a little bit uh, tricky sometimes, but that's kind of the approach we are trying to take um, as much as possible. Yes, thank you for explaining. And uh, my next question is, uh, how do you use evidence-based uh, training and uh, the tools, like you said, the science and uh, things in the background of those sessions? So that means we're trying to use evidence-based and science on two different levels. First one is in our methods and approach. Second one is in our content. So in methods, that means we are trying to build learning processes that are built on what we know, you know, from neuroscience, science of learning, psychology as well. What do we know about the brain and learning? What do we have some research on related to, um, to models that we use as models in which we build the experience of learning so that's kind of the angle of a trainer and that's something that participants don't necessarily think about very actively but they experience that process which trainer is building on a more evidence-based angle but then also the second side the one of the content that's something where we are trying to use the tools and the the, the things that we share with them so the content of the course to be as much as possible built on again, science or research or some, you know, uh, good knowledge that we have in the background. Um, so with that, we will often uh, share also with them where things are coming from, what do we know or not about them. Uh, we can never say for scientific uh, conclusions that are proven or that that's for sure how things are, but we do want to look into what do we know from statistics? What, you know, what are some data that we have? What is the science telling us in some way? And then with that, we still want to make it practical for the learner. We want to take the evidence-based things, but then we want to shape them into what's valuable for them, what is solving their problem, what is work for their specific needs and personality, um, and so on. So we also try to build in a lot of that personalized approach, let's say. Yes, I, I like that it's not heavily based on science, like you have to worship this part. Because for me, it happened a few times that I had to deliver some content on, on a conference and then they were like, this is how it is. So you're gonna learn your, uh, you're gonna teach your delegates that 30% is this, 60% is uh, this, and then 10% is this other thing. I always give them a disclaimer, but I'm not sure if all other trainers are doing that. When it comes to your sessions, because I attended few of them last year, there was evidence-based, you know, and sci scientific information, but it wasn't like this is something that would, would work for you all the time. So, for example, if we look at the learning styles, it's not always for someone who, who is not a visual learner, he's not going to learn in that way the, the same and uh, how, exactly how the data says. And uh, those workshops that you delivered a uh, few, few times that I attended 
were very flexible with uh, what people can take from them. And then I think they were very, you know, inclusive in a way. Yeah, I think a big part of that is wanting the learner to have the ownership. And that's in the core of non-formal education as well, right? Learner-centric approach where you want the learner to say, hey, this is what I need. Help me figure out how do I solve that problem or how do I improve that aspect? Uh, so we definitely want to encourage a lot of that. We don't want to be this, you know, like a crutch where people come to workshops because they can't do it on their own. We want to really be that uh, type of a trainer who helps you master the tools and then kind of kicks you out and sends you to do the best in those tools after on your own, right? Uh, and another part is also, I think that psychology is such, it's not such an exact science, even neuroscience, which is maybe the most tangible aspect of it. It's just not that exact. It's not like percentages you were mentioning. I guess that works in chemistry, maybe in physics as well. But even in physics, there is a lot of contradictory sometimes data, right? Which is more exact than psychology. And I think in psychology, giving any percentages, that can tell us something about general population, but it cannot tell us anything about you individually. It can give us ideas. You know, we know gratitude is quite important for many people. We know many people get boost in well-being if they practice gratitude. So one advice we, we like to give is, hey, gratitude seems to be a big deal and it's easy to, to build it up with specific exercises. How about you try it out if you think it's relevant for you? But it's definitely not approach like, you know, oh, you're not happy. Here is the pill of gratitude and, you know, go strengthen that and that's it, problem solved. Of course, that approach would not make that much sense. But it also would be very, you know, position in which we would be giving them the right answers. And that's not the idea. We want to give the tools and say, this is why this tool makes sense. And this is what we know about it. And then it's on you. You know, can you reshape that tool that it works even better for you? Great. And that goes back to that thing we say often in training. I know you know it as well. Uh, all models are wrong, but some are useful. I think that's really the mindset we are going with. Um, that everything we know is like, we, it gives us some insight, some perspective, some help in understanding the issue. But then in the end, none of it is completely exact. However, in the end, what we want from a model or from a tool is to be useful for me, to give me some, some improvement to my life and some improvement to things I'm doing. There's so many questions now. <laughs> you mentioned learner-centric approach, and this is something that my university is also focusing on because uh, from back in the day, this, this was not the case. It was uh, more of uh, the focus was on the material that you have to learn, but not what uh, the individual wants to learn. It, it was not centered around, around the people that are learning. How is that happening in Happiness Academy? Yeah, so my, my view as a trainer is that the most important aspect of learner-centric approach is to empower the learner. And that's also part of our vision is, you know, educate, but then also empower and motivate. Because in the end, what we want is for learner to take responsibility and to be demanding and to ask for what they need and to, you know, reject what doesn't work for them. So that, that's why ownership is probably the most important bit. So it's not by accident that our main topics are mindset and resilience, because that's about working also with ownership and, you know, how are you working with your thoughts? How are you owning your, um, your reactions and everything else? So I think ownership is a huge bit. But then another aspect is to try to be flexible enough uh, to adapt to learner and learners. 
uh, by adapt, I mean to respect their goals, respect their needs, respect the problems in their life, respect their preferences, passions, you know, personality, ways of thinking and everything else. So the way we do that is by, first of all, working in quite small groups. For most of courses, we limit to group of eight to really build it, kind of be able to have deep conversations and to, for people to connect and have time and space to think and express themselves. But then it's also just about the range of methods, which I know, you know, from non-formal education area as well, which are about, you know, active reflection and then sharing things with others and discussing. And in one way through that, expressing your needs and perspectives, but also having new insights and new perspectives from others in the group, which are kind of broadening your horizons again. So there is really a limit between these two. On one side, being able to adapt, but then on the other side, actually giving them right to ask for adaptation and to navigate their own experience, right? I think it's sometimes hard for people that haven't been in non-formal education because they come from a place where you just give things that you have to memorize. And then when you come in, for example, Happiness Academy, and there's all this freedom to to choose and make it your own. And then people are like, what is happening? <laughs> I think I think where we really can uh, help them figure out their own way is in asking a lot of why. Uh, like, why are you here? What do you want from life? You know, what are your kind of uh, goals and what are you trying to build and what which things in your life, a bit almost like coaching style of questions, which things in your life these days are working the way you like them and which are not. Like in, in some of our courses, like we have one that's called 12 Steps to Happiness uh, or 12 Steps to Wellbeing, and then one called Resilience. And in structure, these are a little bit similar. And the way we work is that at the very first module, and we have 12 modules, so very first, we start with the framework, with the big picture of what are all the aspects of well-being, all the aspects of resilience. And then they actually reflect and they score themselves. Where am I with this? And, you know, how is this working out for me? And then we also work on how do these concepts work? How is well-being working? What are some of the things we know, well, know from science? And what are some aspects that have impact on resilience? And then we go again to re reflection. What is it for you that you think from these things works great, works poorly? And then the magic question is which aspects would, if build up, have the biggest potential to have positive impact on your goals, on your life, and so on. So with that way, we really do a little bit of this, you know, reflection. And I would always say diagnosis in sense of diagnosing my life, <laughs> what is good about it, what do I want to change, and so on. And then from there, that also creates a bit of motivation, but it also creates a bit of clarity. Maybe they don't have all the answers immediately, but they're clear on what is not relevant for them because it's working out well, what is not relevant for them because they're not interested in it and it's not important, it doesn't relate to their values or goals, and what are those sweet spots that would really actually make a difference for them. And then as we go, we focus on these. How can you build more of these? Um, yeah, that's the way we're trying to work around it. But it's always, I always say trying because, you know, there is always um, a lot of this giving ownership and not knowing how things will go. And you want to really build powerful processes and, again, use the best methods you know and learn from every possible science you can how to make method better. But in the end, it's also something where it's very much down to a learner. What are they ready for? And what do they want to learn? And how do they want to go about it? And are they committed to, to actually 
looking into these things are they you know so it's it's always i always like to say trying because i feel like it's not one to ten where we just fit in some boxes but it's really organic process that we are building here it's wonderful how just switching from giving exact answers to the problem but actually asking questions that create more answers individually for people that actually on the on the other hand uh, give solution to those people that want to work on for example resilience like you said or bringing more happiness in their lives and uh, before we actually continue with what we discussed before we started the podcast i wanted to circle back to one question that i don't know if it's going to come uh, come around again about the data because you you did say that data that you use in, in trainings is not, is not something that you are saying it's 100% true this is exactly for for this type of persons and this type of personalities many people also think that when you present them with the data that that's like something you know like amen this is completely true and from from my experience as well and from from what i've learned is that even even scientific data which includes people so let's say if it's a uh, research uh, in education in one part of the world or it doesn't have to be that broad even in just one country it represents a portion of people also all the factors that are uh, affecting their learning let's say if it's economical factor or is it uh, the factor of uh, society in general there and then that data has to be always defined and then i ran into people that are using data from this big tests that we have that are testing education for example and then using those data to actually build up on something and then it's not working and i'm like of course it's not working because uh, it's a very sensitive data you work with data from people so for example if someone is doing a math test in serbia and it's not good there are different reasons why math in serbia or math in some other country doesn't have to be serbia it can be like france is not working because they come from different backgrounds and i think that's also not to to talk about <laughs> this for a long time um it, it comes back to data that we also use in trainings that uh, can help but of course has to be taken with a grain of salt Hi, hi, you reached the midpoint of the episode. We wanted to let you know that the mission of this episode is to connect learners and educators throughout the world, which is the same as Trainers Forum mission, and you can find more information about it on trainersforum.org. And if you want to connect more with our podcast, you can find us on Instagram on our new page, The Learning Experience, with a dot between each word, and also all our social links are in the description you guys now we go back to the episode yeah i think there's so many traps to how data can go wrong i'll give you just a couple of examples or of why why that can be skewed first of all we keep on discovering more uh, and it's been many times that science was wrong but also that there was another layer we never looked into it. And I'll give you an example, like neuroplasticity, which today is like a huge hit. We all love it. We all adore it uh, in psychology. It's a concept that's maybe 10 years old. And I remember super clearly, I still have the, 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 the book from my um, uh, high school when I was studying psychology in high school, which very clearly said adult person cannot grow new neurons. 
And now we have this whole concept of neuroplasticity, which says brain is plastic, like plastic in sense, it can be changing all the time and reshaping. And that's now like a fact. And it's been discovered 10, 15 years ago. And before that, you know, the uh, person with authority and with a good background in science said, no, that's impossible, right? And we have such examples in almost every science. We have the same in anatomy, where now fascia is like fascia is like a huge topic, like uh, intelligence of fascia and how it impacts our body. And 10 years ago, everybody were convinced it's just like passive tissue. And they're in every science, I think physics not to even go into. So in every science, we keep discovering something new. So sticking with exact answers just puts us in trouble because we think we know and we don't look further. So that's one aspect. Second aspect is science really looks into average. It really looks into statistics, especially in psychology, right? So we are, we are, when we have somebody who doesn't fit the, the average, we are kind of like, oh, this person is, I, I don't have a word right now, but it's like, you know, not a mistake, but it's like, oh, it doesn't fit the data. It's like anomaly, right? It's, we won't count it in the results. And in the end, sometimes exactly these anomalies are what is uh, the most relevant insight for our learner, if that learner is maybe also an anomaly. So in that sense, with science, we get really average. Like we have one thing in... Um, positive psychology, one model uh, that talks about, it's called happiness pie, I think. I always forget the name, uh, which is called about the percentage to which uh, our genetics define happiness and then percentage to which our circumstances define. And then people take it as, you know, 50% of my own happiness is defined by that. But no, that pie is made for a big group of people and it's so individual and we really can't take it. We can learn from it. There is impact of genetics, there is impact of circumstances, there is impact of mindset. But we can't say, oh, that means exactly 50%, I can't do anything about. It's, it's just like the way of we put science out of context, it really plays out wrong and it even disempowers us. The third uh, thing is our context impacts the data so much. And this is what you're also talking about, you know, the, the cultural context as well, but many other as well. I was really surprised one of the... Um, uh, uh, topics on, on when I was studying positive psychology was neuroscience. And one of the things that they said was one of the most important things to, to take into account when um, assessing images of brain is context. You know, what was that person experiencing when that brain scan happened? If you take them without context, actually a brain scan of, now trivia fact, of Dalai Lama and a psychopath will look very similar. They will be anomaly in a similar direction because they will both have very calm stress response. They will both be almost unnaturally, you know, calm and, and uh, non-reactive. And that's something when we assign context to it. And when we know with Dalai Lama that calmness came as development of compassion and meditation and so on and so on, then that's like, wow, what an amazing, you know, brain uh, scan and let's all aim for this and let's all meditate. And then you put the same image in, in the context of psychopath and you're like, oh, this person cannot experience emotions because they don't care about others or whatever. So it's, what I'm saying there is they, pure data without context. It's not only useless, it's, it can be harmful, right? Um, we can really reach totally wrong conclusions. Uh, so with that in mind, I really want to, you know, take the data we have. And I do, I still want to know this. I want to know, you know, Dalai Lama's brain patterns are calm and also psychopaths' brain patterns are calm. 
and I want to talk to my learner about things like that. But I don't want to tell them if you have calm patterns, you must be this or that, you know, or anything like that. So in that sense, we definitely want to um, explore that in a more open way, not take it as a fact. And who knows what science concludes in a couple of weeks, months, uh, years. Maybe we'll be talking about completely different topics, especially in sciences as young as positive psychology, which started in late 90s. So it's really young for science. Um, and we're really only in the start of everything we can discover. Exactly. Thank you so much for elaborating on on this uh, part. Let's now talk about emotions in training, because this is a big part of Happiness Academy, and uh, I really would like to hear more about it. Yes, I think one thing that we neglect in training a lot, in formal education especially, but in non-formal education sometimes as well, is exactly the role of emotion. Uh, what brain states and what emotions are receptive for learning? What makes me remember better? So every memory we form in our brain is related to emotion. Lack of emotion, no memorizing. So in a way, we definitely want to create some emotions in learning process. And if we look into what kind of emotions we want to create, usually there is a bit of diversity we want to have there. We want to have a lot of pleasant emotions. Um, we want to have them not too intense, so moderate, because intense emotion disrupt attention and they can kind of drain energy over longer process and so on. We want to have moderate, diverse, a lot of pleasant and sometimes slightly uncomfortable emotions. Why? Because this type of uh, flow of emotion really brings attention forward and it really encourages us and motivates us to be engaged and to be interested. So one emotion that is definitely super valuable is curiosity for our interest or you know surprise or intrigue these kind of emotions in the training setting but we also want to have some level of feeling relaxed and comfortable a moment of calm after they solve a difficult task um, maybe moment of, of slight stress as we are encountering a new challenge or trying out the new tool maybe a bit of frustration when learner is trying to solve something but then we want to end that frustration on a really positive note with resolve and you know with kind of rewarding relief or sense of pride or something like that um confusion as well confusion is very welcome in learning we kind of you know we look down on it really negatively like oh no my learner is confused confusion just means we're trying to process really complex thing for us and we didn't get grasp of it yet so confusion is a good thing to have in training as long as we manage to you know, close it off well and not leave them confused forever. And then motivation, engagement, there are many, many positive gratitude, moment of hope that I can do a change or create a difference, moment of connection with others in my training will motivate me um, to, to learn more, to share, to listen, and so on. So I think role of emotion is priceless. If you would ask me what is one thing that's most important for learner to have, I think it's motivation. And motivation comes from emotion. Uh, so I think it's really pity that it, sometimes it's quite neglected because we focus a lot on the content and on the process. And you know, emotion is not such a thing, a regular thing to talk about in professional setting, right? In school, if we talk about it, we talk about managing difficult emotions or that kind of thing. We don't talk about creating positive emotional experiences enough. And when we do, we, Often in training, we would even talk about it so, you know, people were, would be happy with the training. Uh, 
even though I'm <laughs> running Happiness Academy, it's not about happy in the training, it's about learning. So the question I like to ask always is, which emotions is happening in this workshop and how is this emotion contributing to learning? And which emotion do I need to create, cause, you know, encourage, and in some way, uh, um, um, yeah, push to happen so learning would be more impactful. And that ties in a lot also with just, you know, uh, lack of focus on working with emotions and working with emotional intelligence and working with that area of self-development in most of our education and in most of our professional life, where when we look at some of the key skills for success, uh, dealing with our own emotions and being aware of our own emotions comes really, really, and being able to create uh, uh, some of uh, positive emotions for ourselves uh, comes really, really high as important skill to have. And yet nobody goes to school to teach emotions or, you know, like uh, to teach to work with emotions. So I think it's really important topic. And in Happiness Academy, we don't work with it so directly. We don't have a course on emotions so much. Uh, but we bring in both theory related to emotions and tools how to work with own emotions and also um, just underlining emotional states which we are trying to create within the education. Um, and I think that's really also motivating both for trainer and for a learner to build. Happiness Academy is promoting happiness. And uh, what do you have to say about that? <laughs> In training or in general? In training, let's go. I can I can answer both. But... <laughs> okay, so I I would not even say that what we really stand for and try to create and build as an intention is happiness itself. Uh, it's really intentionality. It's it's trying to encourage and again educate and empower and motivate individuals and organizations to be more intentional about how are we showing up in the world? What are we creating? How are we living? Is that how we want to live? You know, how are we fulfilling our values in action in some way? Um, but having that said, to have more intentionality and awareness and consciousness of, of how we are spending our life and, and, um, and uh, what are we focusing on in life, to do that, we must have two aspects. One of them is capacity. So capacity of energy, capacity of focus, mental capacity, emotional capacity, to be able to manage our own states, our own life, our own actions, our own behaviors. And that's one of the things we are trying to build on Happiness Academy. Through building well-being, through building resilience, we're really building our natural capacities. And then the second bit, I think to be intentional, you must know what you care about. You must know what's most important to you. You must know what you stand for, what are your values. And that's another thing we are trying to build as much as we can um, through, through different you know, tools and, and, and bringing in more clarity and thinking more consciously about what is most important to you and so on. So with both of these, we can say, you know, in a way, happiness or lack of happiness or well-being or lack of meaning or lack of resilience, it's kind of a symptom that intentionality is missing. So that's why the, the, the way we work, it's quite true, you know, are you working on your well-being? Are you working on your resilience? And how can you have a life that's meaningful, joyful, engaged? But within that, what we're really trying to build is intentionality. Can you tell us then how everything started with Happiness Academy? 
Sure. I was quite in love with the training for a while already uh, when I discovered positive psychology. So I discovered training initially while I was studying. So during university and then I got educated as a trainer and started working with a lot of trainings on different topics like communication, leadership, many different uh, aspects. And then at one point, um, I started to grow a little bit hmm, frustrated, maybe, uh, with feeling that things we work with, the content we work with, that it's a little bit, I don't, in lack of better word, fluffy. <laughs> fluffy meaning that models are quite soft, that they kind of sound good, but do they really, you know, who says they're correct and who says they're true? And I sense like a lot of models we're using in training, um, they, they have mainly background in a really creative mind who designed them, but not much, not, not much more beyond that. And as I was engineer also, <laughs> as a background, uh, I have a strong need for, you know, correct things and, and uh, problem solving and practical side of things and, and really not so keen on when things are a little bit too soft, a little bit too vague, and when we don't know what the data behind them is and what the metrics and measurement behind me uh, them is. At the same time, I encountered positive psychology by reading a beautiful book on flow uh, on one of my travels, and I really fell in love with that concept, and it's still one of my favorite topics to work with. And that led me to explore positive psychology much more deeper, and as I was looking for more evidence-based models and content in a training, I started introducing tools from positive psychology more and more in different topics I was working with. So I still didn't work with positive psychology directly. It was more like my treasure box, toolbox of, of good tools and of more evidence-based content and tools. And then that led me just to focus on it more and more. I went actually to study it as well and get really deep into the topic. And at one point, I realized I need to narrow down the topics I'm working with so I would have more depth and more focus in them. And then I decided to stick with two areas, well, positive psychology and skills for trainers. Uh, so Happiness Academy started officially six years ago, but very light with just some small projects and kind of playing next to other projects. And then around two and a half, three years ago, I really kicked it off as one of my two main areas of focus um, that I'm building up and working on. So there is still a lot of work ahead on what we could be building, uh, but now it's also already quite established what do we stand for and what are we trying to create. Great. Congratulations on having the organization for this long. What is now, what is now the vision for, for the future of Happiness Academy? Yeah, you know, my eternal vision always on Happiness Academy is to narrow down and do less things at the same time. I love so many uh, different tools and contents and topics from it. Um, and until recently, I was working with 12 different topics because we also work with framework. That's 12 pillars of happiness. And then I would really do workshops on all of these. And I'm big on learning. So I love also exploring all of them and working with them. Um, but I keep realizing that the power is in narrowing down, that the power is in really training people to do one meaningful deep change and not to know everything about their well-being, but to actually really do one change. So with that, I chose to focus primarily on my four favorite topics and they're favorite because I think they're most impactful. And that's again, well-being, including well-being at work, resilience, mindset, and then flow and engagement. 
So we want to do more things where we'll make the, uh, different materials and support systems available for people who went through the courses and also just design different types of experiences around these topics uh, where people can explore them in, in the best way that fits them best. Uh, the wish is eventually uh, to also have uh, events, so live events, maybe in a year. That was the wish just before COVID, so now it's a little bit postponed wish, but maybe in a year or so to also build some of the live events where we can explore some of these topics in more experiential way, where we bring together a beautiful location with also a lot of learning and again, small group and maybe, I don't know, maybe some sailing or uh, different sports in combination with flow or different challenges in combination with resilience. That's one of the dreams I would like to be building in the future, but kind of shorter term, it's more about just building practical, shorter options for people to really go deeper into specific aspect of topics that they need. And to this first time will be really focused on virtual. So more building the virtual materials accessible for everyone, uh, and then maybe we turn into more uh, options. It sounds wonderful. I wish that uh, after this pandemic is a little bit under control that all those visions for physical events will also happen and that I can also go on those sailing trips for happiness, for flow, for mindset. I think I would need it. Last thing for you uh, from Mirna is to give us three books because you're a book, uh, book nerd, right? Bookworm. If you can suggest three books that we must read so that we get some some more clarity on on all of these topics sure so oh I, there is a long list by the way maybe we can also attach to, to the podcast uh, we have a recommended book list of like 100 books uh but i would say three to start with definitely flow the one that made me fall in love with the with the whole thing so that's from mihai chicks and mihai um, the book is named Flow, and it really explores this state of being really immersed into experience in a really enjoyable way. Uh, so that's one good one to start. And then the other two, they're kind of basic uh, in terms of positive psychology. So they're more like for a beginner in this topic, but they're very practical and easy read and engaging, and they give you good ideas and tools. One of them is by uh, Sean Aker, Happiness Advantage, uh, where he basically says, why do we always think success will lead to us being happy? What if happiness is an advantage that would lead us to be more successful? Let's start from happiness advantage. So he explores that as a topic in a really engaging way. I love his work. Also, his TED talk is amazing. So that can give you some ideas as well. And then the third one is similar to happiness advantage, but a bit different angle, different tools. It's called Happier by Tal Ben-Shahar. Uh, it's also a very practical book with some exercises to explore um, and definitely recommended to kind of start off with this topic. And if you need more, we'll attach the book list and you can go really deep in some of the specific topics. Thank you, Mirna, so much for joining us and for telling us all this information about Happiness Academy. I hope our listeners will get some knowledge about it and uh, take information from here to improve in in all these areas or maybe also sign up for some of your courses so that they see how it works with the Happiness Academy. Cool. Thank you for all the good questions and hopefully see you on some of the events. Haha, on sailing? Yes, of course.